and welcome to The Research Field, the monthly podcast from Chagas for everyone interested in agriculture, crops, the environment, food, horticulture, forestry and rural development research in Ireland. Presented by me, science journalist Sean Duke and produced with Katrina Boyle, science communication and outreach officer at Chagas, this is a podcast that gets out and about to talk to researchers in their various fields. Today we have the first of two special episodes from the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition held in the RDS in Dublin in January, where Chagas researchers were in attendance to explain their work and its importance to school children, teachers and the general public. You'll hear today from three researchers working in areas that are of vital importance to our agri-economy. Minimising antibiotic resistance, improving soil quality, reducing carbon and increasing the efficiency of food production. First let's hear from Kay Burgess from the Food Research Centre at Ashtown about her efforts to help develop a range of farm practices that can combine to minimise antibiotic resistance. We're looking at different selective pressures sorry, which can influence the transmission of antibiotic resistance and how we can prevent that. Okay, and how does that all feed back into, uh, say, advice or things that you can do to help the farmers? So we look at uh, all of our projects would have, um, you know, kind of practical, uh, practical steps. So we work with the stakeholders to identify strategies, what they are doing on farm, what are the on-farm practices, and what steps are more effective um, at preventing the uh, development of antibiotic resistance, what treatments, what low-cost effective treatments can be used, um, what measures can be taken. So it's kind of a whole chain approach or looking at every process within a farm, um, things like biosecurity, um, manure treatment, all of these steps which might each step together can influence either the health of the animal or help minimise the transmission of antimicrobial resistance. And are there any hot spots when it comes to antimicrobial resistance in livestock or animals in Ireland? Are there any sectors that we have to kind of watch out for more than others? That is something that we are um, trying to uh, trying to get a handle on. Um, there are some uh, Department of Agriculture funded projects which are looking at antimicrobial usage in different uh, sections. I have colleagues working the Amirap project, um, which are looking at more intensively uh, produced uh, sectors such as pigs and poultry, uh, where traditionally antimicrobial usage w- uh, would have been higher, uh, but. We are um, trying to get a better handle on the usage when it's being used and uh, we have seen um, improvements certainly in recent years in, uh, we've seen improvements in uh, decrease in usage. Because obviously if your animals are sick you're not going to get a good economic return so there will be uh, maybe a, 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 a temptation if you like to use too much possibly or maybe in the past there was. I suppose before there would have been the the just the just in case, uh, where it's now very much the approach is use as little uh, as little as possible as often as necessary. So it's when it's necessary is optimum. Op- ab- absolutely, absolutely. And can the farmer, the individual farmer, then that mightn't have a lot of technical knowledge, can he uh, learn how to do that with Chagas' help, or you know, are they doing it themselves already? Most of them. 
the uh, where Chagas Kizad at the they are working. We had a very we had a large conference last November, which was very well attended uh, by both veterinary and uh, veterinary professionals and also farmers who came and it was looking at moving from awareness to action and um, what steps can be taken and it is all about coming back to this prevention is better than cure um, you know improving biosecurity measures um, optimum nutrition various steps to be taken to make sure a healthy livestock but of course if, if an animal is uh, if an animal is sick then of course you know we need uh, to make sure to, uh, to use the antimicrobial prudently, as necessary. And just about the vision or the future then, where are we possibly headed with this? Uh, like, is it realistic to eliminate any resistance? Maybe not. So is it to get it down as low as possible? Are we hoping for new antibiotics? Uh, are we hoping to do more on prevention? Or where are we headed into the future? At the, uh, at the moment, it is trying to get a handle on it. it I think it is unlikely that we'll be able to eliminate uh, antimicrobial resistance. But it, what we are trying to get a handle on now is how to reduce the transmission and make sure that any steps that we take in the, um, from a Chagas perspective within the agri-food sector um, to minimize transmission. And we know now that there are steps that we can take and prevent more resistance uh, developing. And working in tandem with our colleagues on the on the clinical side, who are also taking similar steps within the uh, in human in human medicine, and there is a lot of research going into alternative approaches, alternative uh, antibiotics or preventative treatments, such as the use of uh, vaccines or nutritional supplementation that may have an impact, reducing selective pressures, which may be driving the. Um, the development of antimicrobial resistance. Okay, breeding of some sort or yeah, to, yeah. Oh yeah, so there are we know that there are certain things that can trigger the movement of antimicrobial resistance. So if we can take steps to prevent those selective pressures, that would also be very helpful. And you can't obviously uh, take a sample from every animal that's out there in Ireland, I presume, or can you? To, like if you ideally you'd, you'd want to take a sample from every creature and see is it resistant to all antibiotics are not that's Antibi antibiotic resistance is a natural phenomenon so it is um, pretty much any any fecal sample that you take from any animal or human you will you will identify antibiotic resistance what is important is the clinical uh, the clinical relevance of it equally if you take a sample from the environment you can take uh, you can identify antibiotic resistance because these bacteria are naturally existing in the soil, in our environment, but also a lot of our antibiotics are also naturally derived from this. Antibiotics are naturally produced as a defense mechanism. Um, so it is what we are looking at is identifying the clinical, clinical relevance or the veterinary relevance of this resistance. Is this a resistance that's likely to cause an issue for human or animal health? and where we're identifying it are we uh, and how might it be transmitted. Thank you very much. Now scientists have known for some time that carbon can be stored in the soil and when soils have more carbon they also tend to be more fertile. Now let's hear from Louis Lopez Sangil, he's a soil scientist based at Johnstown Castle, about how soil can provide us with the win-win situation of reducing carbon 
and improving soil quality and crop yields. Now there's a link that people might not be aware of with soil and climate. Uh, if we adjust soil we could help with the climate, it could also help farmers, maybe you could explain that. Yeah, definitely, depending on the soil, there are uh, different types of soil, especially those that are being uh, tilled and uh, croplands and so on, that uh, improving uh, organic matter content uh, could be a win-win benefit for, for farmers. Uh, uh, having soils with uh, more organic carbon, organic car uh, matter, uh, can help ameliorate uh, different problems like uh, compaction. Compaction is a big, big, massive issue here in Ireland especially with our wet uh, soils. Uh, so having more organic matter uh, helps creating better structure and better soil quality. And All compaction, just for those that might not know, what is that? So basically it's the uh, mineral uh, structure of the soil getting more squeezed, especially when soils are uh, wet. So mainly driving by heavy machinery, especially now that our tractors and, and the farm machinery is getting bigger and heavier. So this uh, creates a lot of problems when they are being, uh, being used on uh, wet soils. Uh, so this uh, makes the soils being squeezed and this uh, makes uh, the soil pore spaces being lower and lower. And uh, for plants, uh, this is a big issue because uh, their the roots cannot grow within the soil pores. I cannot thrive and, uh, and this uh, basically implies a lower uh, growth and uh, lower yields for farmers. So potentially, I mean, maybe you could give an example. How could a farmer in a particular area make his soil, change his soil so that it can take in more carbon and also become more fertile? Yeah, there are uh, a few management um, practices that can help uh, for that. Uh, again, this is depending on the soil type and the type of crop that you are, uh, you are having as a farmer. But there are uh, solutions like uh, minimum tillage uh, or zero tillage, for instance, in which you are, by not doing deep plowing, you are helping keeping the structure, the soil structure uh, together. And this helps protect uh, not only the, the structure and uh, reduces the compaction, but also uh, helps protecting the organic matter that is being held by the, these aggregates. Uh, also, Sorry to interrupt, but it seems like a wonderful solution here that we could get a win-win, we could improve the climate uh, by taking out carbon that we know too much carbon, and we could improve our soil. So is this something new that we haven't thought of? Uh, not really. This is, this is a discussion that has, has been held in the last uh, couple of decades uh, already in, in, uh, in Europe, and, and especially in other parts of Europe is where there is more cropland area, uh, for instance in the Mediterranean and so on. Uh, this is uh, now being implemented uh, successfully. Uh, in, in other uh, areas uh, of Europe, especially those uh, with pastures and so on, pastures uh, have also a big ability to store carbon. Uh, so the, 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 the matter here is to disturb as less as possible uh, the soils, to both having a healthy soil with long-term uh, nutrient uh, fertility, uh, but also the ability to store carbon uh, long term and keeping out of the atmosphere. And this could help Ireland with it, you know, it has obviously, you know, that its emissions isn't great at the moment, so yeah. it might be a way to help us with that. Yeah, definitely. Ireland is, is uh, definitely not uh, doing great with in, in regards with uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, one, one sector to, to be looking at is the agricultural sector. Uh, uh, we need to improve uh, in all the sectors, and the main contributor 
of course, it's not the agriculture. It's uh, like our way of consuming and the way of uh, transportation. But also the, the agricultural sector, uh, croplands and farmlands, uh, can also help uh, uh, find a solution. Uh, so that could be that could be a good uh, good point to be. And, and the role of Chagas then in helping farmers, how, how can they help them with this? Uh, definitely uh, by first of all um, trying to find ways uh, by research, uh, by increasing research and so on, uh, find ways to uh, find better practices, uh, and then transmitting, uh, transferring all this knowledge uh, gained by the by the research into the farmers. So the, this can be a knowledge transfer that uh, can benefit not only the farmers but also the society. And just one final one, is our soil here, obviously it's different types, but say compared to Spain, your country, is it any better or any worse at carbon capture than uh, anywhere else? Uh, well, um, Irish soils, uh, as a rule of thumb in general, they already store uh, quite a lot of carbon because there is a lot of productivity here in Ireland compared to other parts of, uh, of Europe. In the Mediterranean, for instance, in Spain, uh, the most of it, uh, the Mediterranean part, is, is uh, limited by water mainly. So we don't have as much productivity unless it's irrigated. Uh, hence, we have a lower inputs of organic carbon or of organic matter and nutrients into the soil. Uh, so, so, so is there less capacity for us to take in carbon? Correct. Actually. But we still have some capacity. Yeah, especially, for instance, in peatland soils or in pasture soils, uh, which are properly managed, uh, they, they are into their higher level of capacity. So it's basically trying to keep those as they are uh, to try to not to um, uh, make the problem worse. Oversaturate. Yeah, uh, but uh, for some soils, especially those uh, croplands in which they have been managed uh, like many years ago, and especially when, when they have been killed uh, year after year after year, these soils normally have, especially those with uh, heavier, heavier soils with more clay content, they have a lot of ability to sequester uh, carbon. And as uh, we were talking about, uh, this is a win-win um, situation for both for farmers to Im improve the uh, physical characteristics of the soil, the healthy soils and the quality of the soils, and for the society as a general, because uh, they, are, they have the ability to take CO2 out of the atmosphere. That's fascinating. Thank you very much. Thank you. Finally today, let's hear from Andre Broadcorb based at the Food Research Centre in Moorpark, who is developing laboratory models that simulate human digestion and can add value to foods and reduce environmental impacts. We should say that the In Vitro Digestion Lab at Moorpark is one of the leading such laboratories in the world. So, we're here at the Young Scientist Show. It's fairly noisy, but uh, I'm here with the Chagas researcher. Can you give me your name, please, and what you do for a living? Okay, my name is Andre Borkov. I'm a food scientist, especially in chemistry, so I, I study food chemistry. And my particular interest is in protein chemistry, and I study uh, the structure of proteins in food, from uh, source all the way to delivery. Now, there's lots of kids, teenagers, members of the public here, they're not your scientific colleagues, so it, it's difficult, I know, but if you're trying to summarise what you do, uh, or give an example, what can you say? Okay, one recent example from our laboratory in Chagas Moor Park is uh, the development of an in vitro digestion model. So that is basically to simulate 
digestion of food in the laboratory and we try to compare that to the in vivo situation so in humans we, we do human trials as well however human trials uh, can be uh, very expensive uh, sometimes they are not ethical so for infants for instance you can't do human trials with infant because they can't uh, uh, consent okay so there's a need for simulating digestion in the laboratory and we have a number of models that we have developed with collaborators all over the world and our laboratory would be probably one of the leading laboratories in the world. Because obviously what an athlete, professional athlete might need is different to what say an elderly person might need in terms of food. That's correct, so you, you, you mentioned that the concept is called a slow and fast digestion, slow proteins and fast, fast proteins. So we've been working on this for a number of years and uh, easy example is um, uh, dairy proteins, whey proteins versus casein. So whey proteins, they, are, uh, they used to be a waste product, so whey is a byproduct of the cheese production and uh, it used to be um, uh, thrown away really, you know, it was an effluent or given to the pigs. Uh, and nowadays the proteins in whey, they're more valuable than the rest of the product. So it's a good example of a use of a byproduct for the food industry and uh, adding value, okay? Uh, adding value, and now whey proteins are used for nutritional products such as infant formula, um, athletes, so sports nutrition, and nutrition for the elderly. And of course, uh, we have a big dairy industry here in Ireland, and whey used to be a kind of a considered a waste product of that, so this helps to make dairy more sustainable too. Absolutely, absolutely. It's called the circular economy and that's really a buzzword now. So basically use all byproducts, everything you have uh, that is used uh, uh, for food production or production of ingredients, for instance. So uh, in the case of dairy, that would be use everything, including the water now, uh, all the minerals, all the sugars, which is lactose, all the lipids, the fats that's in butter or other products, and all the proteins, not just the casein, that would be, a, uh, would be the cheese, but also the whey protein. So use every single ingredient to, to maximum, and that way you, uh, you add value to the product, but you also make it more sustainable. And that is really a demand by the consumer, by society and by consumer. So make production uh, or consumption more sustainable. And, and this, of course, this whole area, if for somebody, a young Irish student, it's interested in science, it's a great potential career because this is so important to Ireland. That, that's correct. So I, I kept, kept saying that to the young students here, there's a great um, career in science. So we, uh, we have um, PhD students uh, in, in Chagas, more than 200 PhD students, some, you know, more than some of the universities. Uh, so 200 PhD students, they are our workhorses, really. They, perform the research okay so after your uh, uh, degree in, in college you can do a postgraduate degree or a PhD and we have a number of PhD students in Chagas Moor Park performing the research and some of the PhD students in my laboratory they perform the in vitro digestion so some of these students we're looking at here they might actually be in your lab one day we never know yeah you never know I hope so because at the moment most of our recruits are coming from outside Ireland, which is a positive thing as well, but for instance, in my, my group, at the moment, I don't have a single Irish person, including me. 
uh, not a single Irish person, so they go straight to straight to the industry after postgraduate uh, course. They go straight to the industry, so there's a, a very vibrant market. So most of the people that in my group that finish a PhD or finish a postdoctorate, they find a new job before they finish. Before they finish, so there's a very vibrant job market out there, there's a lot of work out there. So they're snapped up, and is, does that mean like that the, the Irish graduates then are able to go straight from college into a good paying job so they don't want? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well thanks for talking to me, it's great. That's all for this first episode which came to you from the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition 2020. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'd be delighted as usual to get your feedback, suggestions or comments. And if you'd like to reach us, you can email me, Sean Duke, presenter of the research field, at seancduke at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, one way you could certainly support it is to rate and review it on the iTunes podcast platform, as well as the other social media platforms it's available on, such as Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. So until next time, it's goodbye for now from all of us here at the Research Field.